This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal. I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Isabel Hardman. Now, Isabel, the story that's been dominating most of today is the news about Thames Water's collapse and the departure of the chief executive, Sarah Bentley. Tell us what's happening with this. Thames Water is in £14 billion worth of debt. It's also got really serious issues, even for a water company with leakage, which is at five-year high. As you mentioned, its chief executive has just departed and it was the subject of uh, an urgent question in the House of Commons this afternoon with Environment Minister Rebecca Powell having to reassure MPs that other water companies remain resilient, but that the government's having talks with Ofwat, which is the water regulator, as well as there being a lot of behind the scenes work on either some kind of temporary public ownership of Thames Water or other measures to uh, mean that you know customers continue to receive water and that its other work in terms of water treatment uh, can continue. Obviously, you know, utilities are not the kind of thing you can just allow to collapse. And we've seen this with um, the collapse of a number of uh, en- energy companies, uh, including Bulb, um, uh, I think it was the year before last. Uh, so this is something that ministers have got rather used to. But what it also ties into is the wider political row over water, over the privatisation of the water companies, whether that's ever worked. There's certainly a, a very strong narrative now that it hasn't worked. Much greater awareness of sewage being pumped into rivers uh, and lakes and the sea and a general sort of greater public interest in the way that water companies are run and regulated. Uh, and in the last few minutes, we've just seen that Dan Korski has pulled out to be the Tory candidate for mayor of London. Katie, talks about why he's reached this decision. Well, this all stems back to a complaint by Daisy Goodwin, who ultimately accused uh, Daniel Korski of groping her during a meeting that happened some time ago in 2013. That is when he worked in Downing Street. Now, I think what's been interesting about all this is that the hints of the story have been out in the public sphere for some time. It isn't the first time that Daisy Gooden has spoken about um, someone at number 10 during this period. And at the time, you had Daniel Korski denying it. Now, it wasn't as directly aimed at him. But therefore, it does mean when CCHQ and others were vetting candidates' uh, decision of who to spread free, they would have known there's something uh, to do with this out there that could have come back and therefore can't have been caught completely unaware. Now, what happened, of course, was Daisy Goodwin... uh, ultimately came out and gave an interview to The Times where she spoke about it, specifically named Daniel Korski. And then she also complained formally to the Cabinet Office. And I think Daniel Korski, though, as you've written about James, it's been quite hard to work out who exactly is the Tory frontrunner in the way it's done, was definitely seen as one who was garnering the most media attention. He also received lots of quite high-profile endorsements. He, of course, used to work for David Cameron, and therefore you had up-and-coming ministers such as Claire Coutinho, who this morning on the media morning round meant to be talking about childcare and universal credit and instead found herself being asked repeatedly, do you still support Daniel Korski? where are you going with this? Are you pausing your support as Rob Halfin did his support? And it was becoming a massive distraction for the Tory party, particularly in a 
in a race where they don't really, I think it's fair to say, have the greatest chance of success in the London mayoral race. Now, people talk to you about you, Les, and say, you never know, actually, Sadiq Khan's not very popular, watch this space. I think Labour polling in London suggests that hope could be misfounded. But therefore, if if this isn't even a race where you think you're in a massive chance of winning, the whole point was slightly to, if you speak to quite serious figures in the Tory party, um, to cleanse the Tory party in London. And yes, you might not win this way around, this time around, but you can start to rebuild the Tory brand in London. And therefore having a candidate who um, was not only making a news about this, but also saw lots of ministers dragged in for it is doing the opposite. Uh, Daniel Korski in the last few moments has put out a statement saying I categorically deny the allegation against me nothing was ever put to me formally 10 years ago nor seven years ago yeah I mean now we're just down to two final candidates on the list um Mazamal Hussein who you know inspiring backstory but never been elected never had any career in politics and Susan Hall who's a long-standing uh, local Tory politician in London and was formerly the leader of the Greater London Assembly Group. Where does this leave them now, Isabel? I mean, surely there'll be calls in the party to reopen the candidates list. They're just down to two. Yeah, I think there will be, not least because, uh, well, unsurprisingly, some of the candidates who weren't uh, added to that final shortlist were quite cross that they hadn't been added to the final shortlist. So they may be able to raise wider questions about candidate vetting and so on, Um given that the allegations about Korski were quite well known in Westminster anyway, it doesn't take a huge amount of well-funded oppo research um, to, to find that kind of thing out. And so you may well have a, a bit of a push to reopen the entire process. I think also just to, to sort of step away from the mayoral side of things, it just brings us back to the problem that there is in Westminster with how to complain about inappropriate behaviour because there are, as Daisy Goodwin has quite eloquently highlighted this week, there are so many different organisations to which you can complain, but which often say, this isn't our problem, Gov. And, you know, she was, she found it harder to get through to the Cabinet Office than she did to complain about her, uh, I think her phone line going down or something like that. So I have to say that I feel that this Byzantine system that there still is for complaints where people are passed from from one entity to another feels to me not like a conspiracy but like a culture that doesn't want to take allegations of inappropriate behavior seriously because if it did then I think we would have had a much more streamlined process we wouldn't still have the jury out on whether improved complaints processes uh, by parliament and the Labour Party in particular to organizations that have been forced to sharpen up their complaints processes whether they're fit for purpose yet let alone the conservative party the cabinet office number 10 and so on yeah and uh, today went along to the lobby briefing i was promised questions and all they ever wanted to ask about was dan korski but turning to the actual session itself isabel i mean you you were watching it and wrote it up what was your reflections on today's uh, exchange between starmer and sunak I mean, it was fairly formulaic, which is something you could say most weeks about Prime Minister's questions at the moment, in that both men ended up accusing each other of the same thing, which was not wanting to build more homes and having an incoherent policy and front bench position on house building. And both mischaracterised the other's policy as well. I mean, we had Rishi Sunak accusing Keir Starmer of wanting to concrete over the green belt, 
which he, I mean, he doesn't want to do that. That Labour does want to do sort of something a bit more creative with the green belt than just fetishise it. But I, I think that's probably fair to say that that's not what they want to do. And similarly, Keir Starmer accusing Rishi Sunak of. Uh, of, of just not seeing that there's a housing crisis and um, when actually I think to be fair to the government uh, they have had to do a lot over the past few weeks on mortgages in particular but I think the two potent attacks from each man on house building uh, one was from Keir Starmer to Rishi Sunak that he looks like from his body language he's given up now, I'm not sure whether the Prime Minister has given up, but certainly, as we've said many times on this podcast, a lot of Conservatives have given up on the prospect of being in government or really on meeting any of their targets. And that was one of the interesting backbench, well, not backbench questions, but questions in the session uh, later on in the session from uh, Alison McGovern, who is actually a Labour frontbencher, um, which was what would the Prime Minister do if he didn't meet his target to halve inflation? would he call an election? Now, that's, I mean, that is a matter of concern. And I think if you talk to a lot of Tory MPs, they, they have sort of given up on the prospect of meeting these pledges, let alone let alone winning the next election. And then I think the, the potent accusation from Rishi Sunak to Keir Starmer was just about the number of policy flip-flops he's had. Uh, it really is the case now that you tend to find out more about a Labour policy when it's just been reversed back over rather than when it was first announced. Katie? Yeah, I think if today's Prime Minister's questions is anything to go by, we're heading to a very negative election campaign. In a way, a lot of election campaigns do end up being pretty negative. But it does feel as though the best thing the Tories really have to say at the moment is to obviously point out what they, what they plan to keep doing more of, which is U-turns by Labour and also try and suggest a shiftiness in Keir Starmer's character as a result of Lee's. But also, I think what we'll see more of is um, if you don't have much positive to say on your side, and I still think there's a chance I'll meet some of those priorities. You know, a lot we're looking at on a day-by-day day basis is getting harder. It's not impossible. But I think you are, you are at a place where you speak to senior figures in government and it feels as though it's going to be a lot more, well it will be even worse for the other side than it will be better with us. And, and therefore, if it if the economic situation doesn't improve, it's much more about, well, if you risk this with Labour, things can still get worse yet. So that's what we all have to look forward to, I think, next year. We can't wait. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.